You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 232 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I am fine, thank you, Valerie. Just fine. <laughs> what have you been up to? What have I been doing? I've, um, I've been, do you know what? I listen to myself on a podcast. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> I listen to you on the podcast too. I didn't. Do share um, what podcast you're talking about. Uh, I, well, I was interviewed by the, by Kel at the Rights for Women podcast. And it was a really interesting, um, conversation that we had because we, you know, I got a, a list of, of instructions and I was basically told I had to sit in a darkened room under a doona, which, you know, was pretty funny really, but it would have, would have created awesome sound. But instead I sat in my, in my living room where it's carpeted and silent and lovely. Um, and we spoke about writing and we spoke about writing for a very long time. And so when it actually came out, when they released it, uh, earlier this week, I thought, oh, I better have a listen to it because I don't usually, I, have to, I must confess people that I do not usually listen to myself. So I, yeah. it's not like I'm sitting down every week and recapping our episodes by actually listening to them again. So I generally have absolutely no memory of what comes out of my mouth. And so, you know, I thought I better have a listen to it. And you know what I discovered? It was quite interesting, you know, because I, I walked the dog and I was listening to myself as I was going. And for a while there, I even forgot it was me I was listening to. So that was kind of entertaining. Um, but I also noticed that I, I do this all the time. When I'm thinking, I oh. go, so someone asked me a question. This is what I noticed. I don't know if anyone okay. else would notice, but this is what I noticed. So she, Kel would ask me a question and I would go, well, oh. and or she would ask me another question and I would go, so, and it's, it's, it's obviously a vocal tick that I have. So when I'm thinking or I'm about to begin speaking and then I thought, gosh, do I do this on our podcast? Have you ever noticed me doing this? Oh, it's, it's really funny because I think if you ever listen to yourself speak, the first thing that you do is go, oh my God, I can't believe I sound like that. Um, don't you think? Like whenever you listen to yourself on a oh, recording sure. yeah. and everyone does it, which is probably yeah. why I never listen to myself, but I thought I better have a little listen and just see. So, you know, and I put out the challenge to anyone who listens to it to actually gets all the way to the end because it is a quite a long interview, you know, let me know because <laughs> I'd be fascinated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it was great. She um, went into – she had lots of questions for you. She did yeah. have lots of questions. I And listening back to it, I think probably one of the most interesting topics we talked about was this notion of um, – 
we, we got quite involved in the whole writing voice and finding your writing voice. And I was explaining in detail my whole notion of inside and outside voices and, you know, broadcast voices versus that intimate kind of writing voice that you need to tap into for fiction. Mm. And um, listening back to that, I actually thought, you know what, I sounded quite sensible in that bit. So <laughs> if you don't listen to anything else, listen to that bit. I thought that was quite an interesting one. And I also, I had to laugh because Kel said, you know, that the, she listened to our podcast for a year before she wrote a word and it was just this notion of you and I in her head going, get on with it, get on with it, get on with it, that made her actually start. And I had to laugh when she told me that because I just thought this idea of me in your ears every week going, get on with it, you know, like I must be like that grumpy aunt that you all have who just is like be- beating you up about, you know, realising your full potential. Anyway, it was, quite, it was funny. Let's think of ourselves as friendly naggers, not grumpy aunts. <laughs> Friendly naggers, I think. Yeah, see, that's that's you. That's your approach versus my approach. So <laughs> Valerie is the friendly nagger and I am the grumpy aunt and I'm all right with that. I own it. I'm there. Aren't you guys lucky? <laughs> <laughs> so lucky. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to a post that's actually on the Australian Writers' Centre blog. Now, we have mentioned before when we heard the big news that Australian Writers' Centre graduate Astrid Schult uh, got a book deal so that um, her book, her manuscript, Four Dead Queens, is going to be published by Putnam and Penguin Random House. So this blog post goes into the story behind getting the book deal, how she found the course, that the various courses that she did. She's done courses with um, Kate Forsyth and Pamela Freeman at the Australian Writers' Centre and how it really gave her the momentum and the skills to get her book done or get her manuscript done. And then it goes into how she got her... Um, her, her actual her actual deal and, and it's selling internationally. So the book isn't out yet till 2019, but the post, if you want to see her journey, is on the blog and we'll put the link in the show notes, of course, which you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. And we just can't wait to read Astrid's book. It's so exciting that it's I, I love got it when, sold around the world. I know. I love it when, when um, you know, when the Writers' Centre graduates do so well. It's so exciting. It's like when I um, see my sort of freelance writing graduates out there publishing, they're doing it, you know, they're pitching, they're selling stories, they're being published. And it's, um, it's really exciting to see that sort of, you know, when you're passing on your knowledge and people are actually picking it up and really going with it. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, very, very exciting. So now let's move on to the big news that's taken over the publishing industry this week is, of course, Cockygate, which has the unfortunate moniker of Cockygate. (laughs) And uh, we just thought we would mention of Uh, mention it only because it's what everyone is talking about on social media. If you have been living under a rock, a uh, self-published author called Felina Hopkins has written a number of books about the Cocker Brothers, Mm. six bad boy brothers you'll want to marry or hide under your bed. And um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Apparently. And each of these books features the word cocky in the title. So, for example, one is cocky romantic, one is cocky biker, one is cocky cowboy, and so on. Anyway, as it turns out, she has supposedly trademarked the use of the word cocky in relation to 
romance books and well romance ebooks and this was issued in April 2018 and what she's been doing is sending cease and desist letters to lots of other mainly self-published authors around the tribes as in around the world asking them to remove the word cocky from the the title of their novels, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise saying, you know, she would take legal action and, and so on. And some authors have been so scared and intimidated by the scary letter that they have in, uh, have in fact done that. For example, um, uh, one author called Melissa Jane has changed her title, Cocky Fiancé, to Arrogant Fiancé. <laughs> 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 Word now of the week. there, there are lots of um, uh, there's lots of opinions flying about, including those from the legal community and from IP lawyers about whether or not uh, Felina has a leg to stand on. And some have taken the time to actually investigate it further and see whether um, she has registered the trademark. Yes, she has. Uh, But to see whether her cease and desist letter, because one of the authors published the cease and desist letter, is, is, well, shall we say, you know, valid in the sense that she seems to be citing her, you know, what can, Felina seems to be citing what can happen if you don't, do this, that, and the other, whatever she's asked for. And some lawyers have weighed in on whether or not what's in the letter, because the letter's just from her, I think, not from, not necessarily from a lawyer, um, whether or not that is correct. One retired uh, lawyer has um, petitioned the the organisation, the, the trademarking organisation in the US, because that's where this has happened, to cancel the, the trademark. And obviously that can take some time and the results of that have yet to be, um, yet to come to light. But it's kind of like, oh, my goodness, this has literally taken over. It's spread like wildfire because people are so cranky at Felina, aren't they, Al? Well, that's right. And it's what I guess, I mean, for me, you know, I, I sort of read it. It came up in our, a couple of people flagged us on social media about it. It, it. it actually, there's a thread on it in the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook mm. um, with a couple of legal people actually having some things to say about, what, you know, whether or not you can trademark names in Australia, et cetera, yes. um, as well. So it's worth probably having a little look at that. I'll put a link to the actual thread in the show notes. Um, but I look, I think it's one of those situations that has, A, got itself well and truly out of control because there has been an amazing pile on on social media, like whether or not you agree with what she's done or not, and I really have no opinion on that. Um, I feel that what she's done here has has done enormous damage, enormous damage to any sort of brand that she had as an author. Um, And, of course, my first instinct always when I see this kind of thing play out on social media is to pop over to Goodreads because that's always a really interesting spot to see the fallout from this kind of stuff. And, of course, you know, she has – you know, picked up 500 one-star reviews in the space of, you know, two days because that's, you know, one way that readers can show or, you know, readers can show their unhappiness with with the way an author behaves. So I guess my um, – whatever reasoning she had for doing this, whatever advice she got, whatever went, you know, behind it, I think whatever that you – everything that you do um, with regards to your writing career – um, needs to be thought about from a whole range of different angles. Um, 
whether or not she has a leg to stand on with the whole, co- you know, trademarking of cocky, like really the word it's, uh, you know, I, I remember when Cadbury trademarked that shade, that shade of purple and there was, you know, immediate outrage in the whole world over that. Um, yeah. I just, I just really think it's, I, I guess the lesson for me for us as, as writers is simply to not act on instinct or impulse, but to actually think about what you're doing before you post, before you tweet, before you comment, before you trademark, before you <laughs> before you do what anything that you do, get, have some thought behind it. Like it's it's really easy to react, um, yeah. and you just need to be sort of uh, pretty careful about what you do. It's like people, I guess the the it, this is a fairly extreme example, mm. um, but where we have seen this happen um, again in the past has been authors who respond to Goodreads reviews or, you know, have some or, or take a, a, an argument with another author out into the public space. Um, those kinds of things are really like, it, you know, what? think it, tell your mum, tell your kids, tell your dog, to, you know, do, do whatever you have to do, but it, don't take it online. And if you get a bad mm-hmm. review, if you get a one-star review, um, don't, respond whether or not you think that the reader hasn't even read the book which is you know sometimes the case I mean in in the case of Felina's 500 current one-star reviews most of those people have given her a one-star review because they will never read the book like that's they're actually actively saying that um because of what she's done but um I just you know I think it's always really important to remember that you everything that you do has ramifications and repercussions and I think it's important to consider those before you do anything Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And also, if you do get a one-star review from somebody who hasn't read the book, you know, just put it out to your community to leave their honest review. And hopefully their honest review is for people who have actually read your book. Um, and hopefully their review is much more positive. It's, you know, four or five or whatever, and it will bury the one star. Exactly. Exactly. I, it's um, look, reviewing is a really interesting subject. It's one of those things because Amazon has recently really cracked down on people who trade reviews, authors who review other yes. other. They, like they're actually taking in your whole wider social media um, sort of engagement and stuff like that. And and they they're taking down honest reviews. Um, that haven't yes. been sort of discussed or bored or anything like that. But there were, I mean, um, I've, I haven't been in one, but I have heard that there are, you know, several groups um, on Facebook and different places like that, you know, closed groups, secret groups where people do, um, you know, trade reviews or, you know, likes yeah. or whatever. Um, and I guess that the message is that those, I mean, you know, the alg- you, you can beat the algorithm maybe for a little while, but at some point the algorithm will catch up with you. And if Amazon mm. decides... It, and, and I know, I mean, Anne R. Allen wrote a post about this recently about the fact that, you know, authors who have had nothing to do with this stuff have been caught up in it um, because they're now, you know, Amazon in particular has become so um, incredibly, you know, cracking down on this whole review situation. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's it, a lot of them now are requiring a verified purchase of the book before they'll mm. let the review even go up. So there's a lot of murky waters that can be swum in around sort of like some of this online um, online stuff. You know, unfortunately, you know, Felina has gone and just like dived <laughs> very, very deeply into those murky waters. Um, but yeah. I guess my advice on, on any of these things would be like 
you know, dip a toe in, see what the temperature's like, have a look around, think about it, and then decide if you actually need to swim at all. So that's my advice. Great advice. All right, let's move on to a link that is uh, on the right practice, and it's how to write a book while working full time. Now, I thought that this was a good one because there are so many people in our community who do work full time or have very, very busy lives and need to fit their writing around those busy lives. And I think that um, one really, really important thing is it's actually number one on their list, which is figure out your prime writing time because we all have different, you know, go times kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mine mm-hmm. is often late at night and when I wrote my book I was writing really, really powerfully between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. Uh, and it was just harder the rest of the time. You know, I guess it was because it was quiet and um, I could really concentrate. There were no other distractions. When's your prime writing time, Al? Well, my my prime writing time, again, used to be nights because that was the time I had the quiet because, I, you know, I, um, I, I had small children, busyness, things that had to be done, paid work that had to be done, everything had to be done. Um, and so my my best writing time is when I can focus solely on the writing without worrying about someone coming in or the fact that I've got something else due or the fact that whatever. So whatever time of the day it is that I can actually just be like me, my computer and and, and off I go and I just, you know, vomit those words out and that's, that's me done. Um, so it used to be night times because that was the way my family pattern and my job pattern worked. But now it's probably more sort of um, – early afternoon. It's a feeling of like, I, I basically get all of the things done. And then I, I, I work, I know that I've got this sort of like deadline of 3pm or 10 past three ish, because that's when my first uh, child arrives home. And so I, I am basically like, I, I, I probably around two o'clock, I will sit down and just be like, bang. And I know mm-hmm. that there's an end point. And an endpoint yeah. is a good thing for me. So there's an endpoint. Yes. Um, I've got to get some stuff done. I'm going to do it now. But I've already done all of the other things that need to be done. So it's it's that distraction level. And I will also go back later again at night as well. Um, but my my working day has changed. You know, as as things do, life changes. You know, as kids grow, as I keep saying to people, like they're not going to be little forever. Like you can work around them now, and then then you know, time changes, things change for you. But as I said, I mean, I was speaking to an author just recently, um, who, who can't do anything after 5 PM. Like once 5 PM comes, it's over. Like that's, you know, evenings are just vegetation time. So she's up at five and she's writing for two hours before she goes to work. So, you know, it's, you know, she's a morning person. I couldn't do anything at five. I would, I would need five, five cups of coffee and, Mm. you know, I'd, I'd still be sitting there looking at Twitter. So I think it's, um, you know, I think it's, uh, as you say, you've, you've got to find that rhythm that is going to work for you. I've got friends who work at lunchtime, you know, mm. they're in full-time jobs, but lunchtime is a good time because it's a break for them. They they mm. actually physically leave their office, they go and sit in a park and they write and it's a yep. break for them. Um, other people, you know, who are writing on the train, um, I mean, we, we um, interviewed Sue Whiting, I think last year, um, who wrote an entire book while sitting on the train from the South Coast to Sydney. So, cool. you know, as far as she had a daily commute, that was about an hour and she used that hour, you know, mostly in the morning. She wasn't doing it much. She's, the trains were too crowded in the afternoon. So the morning time was when she could get on, she would get a seat and she would have her have her computer out. So um, as you say, it's about sort of like getting, getting that time that, that is going to work for you. 
Yep, definitely, definitely. Now, there's a bunch of other tips here as well, which are kind of obvious, like enlist the people you live with so that they're supporting you, commit to giving things up, push yourself. Do you know what? Can we just go back there to commit to giving things up? Because I think that this is something, no, I think this is important because I think that there is this idea you know, the, the people are going to fit writing a novel in and they're not going to have to give anything up. And, and this is something that I, <laughs> that I say that's actually really important. You are going to have to not watch the block or the voice yeah. or the something. You know, one of those things that you do, you know, it's, it's about identifying wasted time. And I'm sorry, yeah. but the block and the voice, you know, fun, whatever, you can sit there and chat, you can vote on your app, you can do whatever it is that you do. But it's actually like that that would come under the territory of wasted time. There are things that are going to have to stop. It's like, um, sure. remember we interviewed Nigel, uh, yes. Nigel Bartlett, and who, who would who who basically blocked out Sundays, Sundays. for however yeah. long, you know, and no social. Like, no. You you have to say no Said to, no to, to say yes to something yeah. else. Yeah. So if you're going to say yes to your writing, be aware that something's got to go and work out what it is that you can live without for three, six months or whatever it's, however long it's going to take you to get it done. Yeah, definitely. So awesome. Um, and I was going to bring up Nigel as well because that was just so committed, you know, saying no to social invitations on a mm. Sunday, I reckon that's a big thing really mm. because it's, it's you know, it's, it's such a day that you would do for barbecues and you would hang out with people but he was ruthless with his time and he made sure he committed that time to his book because he did have a full-time job. All right. So let's move on to, now this is a post on um, Writer Unboxed and it's called, Should You Read While You Write? Now, I thought I'd mention this because there are some people who say that, see, when people ask me this question, I go, well, yeah, I read, like, it's almost like a non-question for me. But I do know that there are some writers, for example, they won't read in their genre, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't. In, in so, your genre, would you, but will you read other things? I read other things, so I and don't how read do you make in my that genre. Choice of what those other things are, I read ad- I, I just read adult fiction when I'm writing. Like if I'm writing a children's adventure story, I'm going to yes. read an adult crime novel, or I'm going to read an, a, a literary novel for adults. I just read completely um, not in the area in which I'm writing. But what if it was an adult, you know, um, adventure set in? A similar setting. I don't read those. Yeah, so you just stay quite away. I stay away. Yeah, I stay away. I read and the genre. Yeah, I I I just read. I read other things, but I I'm still reading. And in fact, I find I almost need to. It's an interesting. um, I probably read more when I'm writing than I do when I don't. When I'm not, in some ways, because I just Mm. feel like you need that sort of like it's it's a way to switch gears. You know, absolutely is by um, reading something else. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, That makes sense. That makes Mm. sense. Yeah, I just kind of like I just read anything. (laughs) I don't really think about it. Um, But, yeah, let us know. Do you read while you write? I think you would be mad not to read at all, but I do understand not reading something similar. But, yeah, let us know. Love to know. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to... 
What are we moving on to? We're moving on to our competition this week. Our competition. This is so cool. Okay. One of my favourite interviews was with David Crystal. Mm. Now, David Crystal knows all things about spelling and punctuation and grammar and the English language, and he is just highly entertaining. Go back and find the episode with David Crystal. Uh, So he's got another book out and it's called... Sounds Appealing, The Passionate Story of English Pronunciation. So that's like, and mm-hmm. he, he, your kind the way of book, he write, Yeah, exactly. And the way he writes his books, it's just, it's just so entertaining. So this is a really good one. Make sure you enter the competition to, to win one of three copies that we have. It's, uh, his interview is episode 152. So check him out because he's really fun. Um, so there have been long debates about correct pronunciation in the English language and Britain's most distinguished linguistic expert and highly entertaining podcast interviewer, uh, David Crystal, is here to set the record straight. Sounds Appealing tells us exactly why and how we pronounce words as we do. For the chance to win a copy, head to the blog to submit your best caption for the image we've selected and you can go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close the 14th of May. If you're listening to this episode in the future, don't worry, there will be another competition there for you to enter. So get to it. Now, along the same vein, Al, <laughs> are we ready for the word of the week? We are so ready. I mean, I could not be more ready. Unbelievably ready. Excellent. Because it is Persiflage, persiflage, that's P-E-R-S for Sam, I-F for Fred, L-A-G-E, persiflage. Do you know Mm. what it is? Sounds like a washing powder. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does a bit. Okay, but it's not. It it means light banter, like, you know, we persiflage every week. (laughs) Oh, my lordy wordy. <laughs> the podcast with the persiflage. It's a that's theme. Right. Yeah, that's right. So the Macquarie Dictionary cites G.B. Lancaster in an example, and here it is. And although Jenny listened in all politeness, he felt dismally that his persiflage lacked dash. <laughs> Did he actually? So, would you actually think that? Like is that something that you would actually, my light banter is lacking dash? I would now. Yeah, of course. I'd think that. I might not think the word persiflage, but I will now. Are you, are you going to be judging us? Are you, are you going to be giving us marks for our persiflage this week? But don't you ever, when you're in a like making small talk with somebody, especially with somebody that you have only just met or you don't know very well, think, gee, I'm no good at this. <laughs> I do. Gee, I'm no good at this. Is that, do you seriously? What, are they trying to banter with you and you're failing to banter back? Like, is, Well, is, I don't know whose fault it is or whatever, but I kind of think oh, I sit there and go, this is awkward. <laughs> okay. I thought that was just, um, well, I just thought that was, you know, some people lack conversational skills. I didn't realise it was a thing, like it was persiflage. Yeah. I'm going to have to work on it. Do you think there's like courses? We could do a Maybe course. Maybe you don't persiflage. have a problem. That's the issue. 
So this don't. word does not need to be in your vocabulary. Do you think I'm it's... gifted in persiflage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've spent my whole life looking for my talent and there it is, persiflage. <laughs> Love awesome. It. You've sorted yourself out. All right, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Now, our writer in residence is Sammy Lucas, who ah. has her memoir. It's this great book called Romantically Challenged. How many wrongs does it take to find Mr. Right? And, of course, many people will know Sammy as a TV personality and radio announcer and um, she, you know, she's been on... She's been on TV and in the media for decades now, but she's also been on a billion dates, interestingly. Mm. Mm. And I reckon she... her persiflage would be on point, don't you? <laughs> I reckon. She would be the queen of persiflage. <laughs> and this is basically a memoir about her her dating life and um, it's out now. And she uh, took the time to have a chat with us about Romantically Challenged. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sammy. It's my pleasure. Lovely to chat to you. Now, your latest book, Romantically Challenged, for people who uh, haven't read it yet, and they should because it's just (laughs) fabulous, um, tell us a bit about what it's about. Well, I love how you said my latest book, first of all, because it's my only book. It's my first book. Hopefully, you know, not my only book, but um, yeah, it's been it's been quite quite an adventure. It's look, it's basically a diary of my thirty years, yes, three decades of dating adventures or misadventures, I guess you could say. So I kind of realised when I turned forty seven last year that I had hit three decades on the dating scene. You know, most of us really start dating properly after we finish school. And, you know, despite best efforts and a bunch of relationships, good and bad, and hundreds of dates, I I still have never been married. And at 47, I'm still single. And I realized that it's kind of a pretty bizarre situation to be in to to hit this age and and to have never been married. I also realized that I for whatever reason seem to be a dating weirdo magnet and I have accumulated a collection of unbelievably bizarre, extraordinary, hilarious um dating anecdotes along the way. And so all these people kept saying to me like that person at every dinner party, at every girl's catch up, you know, they ask about my dating life. I tell them my latest dating story. Usually it's a disaster. And someone will always say, oh God, Sam, when are you going to write a book about this stuff? So I've been hearing that, you know, for years. Mm -hmm. And then finally I thought, well, okay, I might as well give it a go. I'll have a go. I'll try. And I did. So, but what was the trigger? I mean, obviously people have been saying this to you for years. So what made you finally... (laughs) push the button? Well, two things. One, I was out of work, (laughs) jobless. (laughs) So I'd finished um, my last radio gig. You know, I've been working full-time media and mostly 
biggest media, radio and television for the last 15 years, which is incredibly exhausting. It's taxing, you know, it's mentally and physically very, very challenging and draining. And so it was the first time really in 15 years that I had some space and I had some room to breathe. And I'd had about a year off since my my last radio gig and, you know, I was a bit lazy and enjoyed my sleep-ins and (laughs) Oh, my God, going to the movies on a Wednesday night. I had no idea it was a thing. Like there are people everywhere living their lives on a Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. It blew me away the first time. <laughs> I, I know it sounds bizarre, but I'm normally, you know, for 15 years I was tucked up in bed at 7.30, right. 8 o'clock. So I sort of had this life of trying to find some normality again and then I guess I just – realized I needed to do something and and activate my mind a bit and um, get working. And so it was really just over a a boozy lunch with my manager, to be honest, when he said, right, what are we doing? Come on, let's get working again. And I threw the idea at him and we just ran with it. Okay. So you decide I'm going to write a book now. Did you, what were the, the, the next steps? Did you, did you think I'm just going to write down every dating, every, every, every funny or or bizarre (laughs) dating story I've ever experienced? Did you kind of map out a structure? Did you think I'll, I'll actually get a publisher interested first? What was the process after that? Well, my manager um, also looks after Julia Gillard and he had literally just done the publishing for Julia's book uh, the year earlier. So he was familiar with the whole publishing world. I had known, as I said, I've never um, written a book before. I've been a writer my whole career. I actually studied journalism. And so I'd always written my own scripts for television so, but as you would know, it's a very different style of writing mm-hmm. and um, I, I honestly didn't know if I would have, have the skills to be able or the talent, you know, the creative you know, talent to be able to write a book. So I knew I had the stories. I knew I had the content. Um, my manager had the contacts. So we literally put together a one-page uh, proposal and he went to Penguin, um, to Ram House, and they straight away said, yep, we love it, love the idea, come and meet with us. So we flew down to Melbourne and had a meeting with the, the lovely girls there and they said, right, we want to do it, we love the concept, um, let's start and would you like to write it yourself or would you like us to, uh, you know, to help you write it? And I, I really thought about it and I said, no, you know, I, I really want to do this myself. I've got time. I'm not committed to any other full-time employment other than my, my travel business, um, which we can talk about later if you like. But yeah. I really had the time and I, I guess I was hungry for a new challenge. It's it's not often, I guess, as a 47-year-old person, you find a new challenge in a, in a career Um, something new and exciting to really, you know, sink your teeth into. So I said to them, look, I'm open to criticism. I'll send you some chapters, some sort of samples. If you think it's terrible, then I'm open to getting someone on board because, you know, I know the content's there and I want it to be enjoyable for people to read. Um, But if you think I can do it, then I'd like to have a crack. And so they loved what I sent them and they loved my style and just went from there. So, yeah, I signed on with them and they were really supported. They were just fantastic throughout the whole process. Um, it took about a year from signing the contract to delivery mm. to get everything down on paper um, or on the computer, on the laptop, I should say. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so I, I'm really 
the fact that I wrote every word myself, you know, because it was something I really didn't know if I would if I would be able to, if I'd be able to achieve it. Well, you have a very, very, very distinctive voice and it is funny and it is entertaining and it's 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 knowledgeable and anyway, it's just a pleasure to read. But thank tell- you. It, it, I really enjoyed it. It was a it, even though you say it's like a diary or um, well, it is a series of um, you know dating stories. It's it is actually a page turner, <laughs> and you just you know you you find yourself uh, you know because it's it's so true that um, you 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 have um, it even though you have a bunch of great stories, it's the way that you tell them and the way that you structure them that make it um, really work. So when you sat down and thought, okay, I'm going to write this and you say it took you a year, did you think, oh, I'm going to write about it? How did you remember them all for a start? And then did you write them individually (laughs) and then piece them together? Or did you have some kind of thread that that you knew was going to roll through them? Well, a bit of a bit of everything, um, because I'd been on breakfast radio for ten years. You know, you t- I'd already told a lot of the stories. Mm. So every show that I've ever done, I've kept notes on, and particularly for you know when you're doing talk topics and you know working on new shows, you're always looking through your bank of personal stories. You know, you got to fill three hours a morning on breakfast radio. So I had a lot of the stories already kind of archived, archived mm. in my radio notes. So I went through all of those. Um, I also wrote a column. I lived in Brisbane for a year um, many years ago. Oh, God, must be like eight years ago now, maybe. Was I 40, 41, about seven or eight years ago? And I wrote a column for one of the local magazines there called Sammy in the City. So there were a few Mm. dating anecdotes from from there that was kind of putting my toe in the water, I guess, back Mm. then. Um, And then I really just sat down and brainstormed and For some reason, look, I have the worst memory for most things in my life. But for some reason, when I sat down and and I remembered a particular date or a man or a moment and I sat down, everything came flooding back. The smallest little moments from that date or exact words that a man has said to me, um, you know, I somehow have this weird, I I guess I maybe locked them all away in a little corner of my brain anticipating that this might happen one day. That's what it felt like. And it was like I was unlocking this corner of my brain and letting all of the dating disasters, (laughs) you know, out and onto the page. So, um, and then structuring it was really an interesting um, yeah. process because, you know, as you know, I'm not a writer, so it was all new to me. I originally wanted to start uh, and just basically do it chronologically, but then I realised some of the more interesting and probably engaging stories had happened in my 30s. So I, I, it was a bit non-linear in that respect where, you know, you, you'll see you've read the book. I start yeah. from my very first date and, and from a couple of the early stories and then I come forward to more current day and then um, I go from there. So And then they just kind of, um, it just happened that they tend, some of them tended to um, roll over into the next story or there was there was a natural transition from one story to the next in a lot mm. of cases, I found. 
So or we, maybe that was, that was also maybe my radio experience in, you know, trying to keep your listeners there over the commercial break, you know, stay listening <laughs> because up next, blah, blah, blah. So maybe that just came through at the end of one story. It was like, how do I keep them there for the next page? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... You, 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 so you write it, you brainstormed and then you, you wrote all your stories out. And I did kind of think, how does she remember all of this? Because there's Mm -hmm. so many, there's so many dates in them. Um, And (laughs) yes, uh, there are. That's why I wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) At any point, did you rearrange? Did you kind of, you know, structurally look at it and go, oh, you know, Yes. Um, that whole section should actually yes. be over here or anything. Yeah, I did actually. I did. Um, I was pretty set on the chronological order and until I received the first uh, pages from the editor, from the publisher, sorry. So um, what I had done is written it all on my laptop and I had no idea. And, and one of the biggest surprises for me in the whole writing process was, you know, I knew every word. I'd read it a million times. I'd re-edited it and re-edited again. And by the time I sent the draft, you know, my first draft off to the, to the publisher, when they sent me back the first typeset pages, it changed everything. Actually reading the words on a page in front of me that in something that looked like a book, it just was a, a really different, it was weird. It was a different experience. And, and there were some blatant um, structural changes that were so obvious to me that I could see this chapter does not belong here and I have to move that chapter forward and I had to move these two around. And, you know, as I said, I wanted those transitions to be there and, and some of them weren't as natural as the others. But seeing it in the typeset pages it became clear to me um and then I'm sure the publisher was a bit angry at me towards the end because even at the very last sort of draft when they were like we have to go to print I was like oh but I just want to change I just have to move this chapter it doesn't quite fit there it needs to go back a little bit so right up until that last you know (laughs) the very last second we had before it went to print I was still rearranging and reshuffling things Wow, so you knew instinctively that doesn't work there, it needs to move. It wasn't actually your publisher um, encouraging you to restructure it, is that correct? No, no, not it was me, yep. yeah. It was, they, wow. they were just, it was amazing because, um, you know, Kate Blake was my publisher at Penguin and she was just so supportive and encouraging and really wonderful um, and I kept saying to her, I she kept telling me how wonderful the writing was and how engaging it was and how much she was enjoying it. And I was like, but, but give me some, give me some, some criticism. Tell me something's not right. Tell me something's not working. And she said, no, you've just, you've got to have faith in your ability because it's great, you know? And so she was just so encouraging and supportive and gave me the confidence to, you know, to believe in, in my choices, or I guess, or believe in, mm. um, you know, the way that I had put to, put the book together. So you're really honest in this um, <laughs> in this book, not just That's honest, it. because, but I mean, I obviously I, I'm not surprised that you're honest, but you're really revealing, um, and you're really <laughs> open about um, your life and what you really think, not just about the actual dating stories, which. You know, um, which are which are which are awesome and they're really entertaining. But you're really open and raw um, about you know things that you're thinking and things that are happening in your life and stuff like that. 
does that come naturally to you? Are you usually the oversharer in your friends or yes. or is that something that, oh, yeah, so it is a natural. It's not something that you kind of thought, oh, should I say this, should I not? There were a couple of times, uh, a couple of moments in the book where I did think, oh, should I put this in? But in the spirit of the premise of the book was to be brutally honest and open and talk about my my dating life share I knew that I had to there was no point you know telling half the story um Mm. and also I think that comes from breakfast radio as well commercial breakfast radio let me clarify that where you are an open book and if you're not you're not going to survive for very long in a breakfast radio show and I've done that for 10 years so Mm. also I think because I've been in the media for, you know, two and a half decades, I, I kind of don't care what people think of me anymore. I am who I am. <laughs> you know, like someone's, everyone's going to have an opinion. People either love you or they hate you. And um, so I, if anything that's in there is offensive to people or they judge me for it, then they can go for it. But it really doesn't bother me. Yeah, right. So were there any parts of the writing process because you're writing about your life and you're writing about good bits and bad bits were there any parts of the writing process that were really hard yeah there were there were two um well three I guess there was there were three um two chapters and then another whole section the baby section I write Mm. about um my you know attempts at having a baby being unsuccessful at that and I devote a few chapters to that in the book and I did have a good chat with the publisher about it because I thought look this is a a mostly light-hearted collection of dating anecdotes that's how I'm proposing the book that's how I'm selling the book that's how I'm marketing the book do people really want to sort of go on this journey that's a little bit you know depressing that I couldn't have a kid and I tried and and you know she encouraged me to include it because it is all part of that journey. And it actually did become a part of my dating journey because when I turned 40 and I was single again and I found out that my fertility was in rapid decline, I went into what I call in the book a desperation dating period. It's like, okay, green light, got to find a baby daddy. Where is he? I'm, you know, so it was actually, it did influence my dating my dating life and my dating choices. So it was a big part of that whole uh, theme of dating. Mm. And also I had, um, I had, when I turned 41, I made a, doc- a documentary for Foxtel for Lifestyle You called Sammy's Baby. Mm. And it was about fertility and it was about this situation that more and more women in their late 30s and 40s are facing where they get to a certain age and they haven't had kids they realized that they've basically run out of time. And I really wanted to make a documentary about the issue of fertility and why we're not given more education about it as young women, you know, about the realities of our fertility challenges. Um, And so that's a whole other story. But what happened was that documentary was such a wonderful success. I got so much beautiful feedback from people yeah. thanking me for making it and women that had found themselves in the same situation or women that had sisters were going th- that were going through it or, you know, that knew people that were, were in that situation. So I felt like the book also had, it gave me an opportunity to pick up where that documentary left off because I right. had a lot of people saying, okay, we love the show, where's part two? Where's the rest of the series? And yes. I had to repeatedly keep saying to people, no, no, it 
was only ever a one-off documentary. So the book gave me an opportunity to tell the rest of the story. Um, and yeah, obviously talking about that whole period of my life was, you know, it was pretty tough. It's a tough thing mm. to go through. Any woman that's tried, you know, to have kids and, and hasn't been able to would would appreciate that. So that was tough. And then um, to... So on that of, though, before you move yeah. on to the next bit, on that, um, I remember that documentary and I, I watched every episode. It's very compelling. And I can see how people would want kind of like the, the part two. And it was more more than a documentary though wasn't it Sammy I mean there there was so much of you in it there it was a lot of there there was a lot of real raw stuff about your life as well in it so when you were documenting this part too in, in a sense what what was the hard part the reliving the the era or or what was actually the hard part um, I guess putting it down on paper because the documentary, um, it was intent, uh, you know, when I went to Lifestyle, um, to Foxtel with the idea for the documentary, it was actually intended to be more about the issue of fertility and what options you have as a single woman when you hit your 40s and you don't have a partner and you realize you're running out of time to have a baby. So the, um, um, Oxtel handed it over to a production company to make and it just happened the way they made it that it turned into much more of a personal story about my journey, which wasn't my intention when I pitched the doco. So it ended up being a very personal look at my journey and that worked beautifully and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that and the reaction was fantastic. I just didn't, it wasn't what I had expected it to be. So um, that was me starting the journey of trying to have a baby and I've never really discussed or gone into or written about or talked about the end result, which mm. is I didn't have a baby. You know, I tried very tried valiantly and I was unsuccessful and so I guess documenting that but again like the, in the in the voice of the book and the theme of the book, I wanted to still keep a bit of humor in there yeah. and be a bit self-deprecating in, in my situation, you know, this desperate 41-year-old woman with a clock that's about to, tick biological time clock, time bomb that's about to explode, de desperately trying to find a man to have a baby with. I mean, it's kind of comical in a way, isn't it, really? <laughs> so, so I tried to, yeah, I tried to keep it, you know, keep some, keep some comedy in there or look at the funny side of it. But at the end of the day, you know, I didn't get the result that I, that I'd hoped right. for, which was the baby. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So what were the other hard parts of the creative process? Um, there were a couple of chapters about um, two particularly difficult relationships for me. And, again, as I said to the editor, you know, to the publisher, oh, I don't know if I want to go into this heavy stuff. You know, I was in an abusive relationship, which I never spoke about, and I also dated a, a man. I thought I was the one and it terribly, it, it, it really went bad, very, very bad. And, um, I didn't know whether to include those two relationships in the book because again, they were pretty heavy themes for what was meant to be a really fun, lighthearted look at, you know, the silly side of dating. Um, but again, yeah, the publisher sort of convinced me that it was part of my story and mm. that she, you know, she thought that the reader would appreciate seeing that side of it. And, and to be honest, it's all part of dating, isn't it? Sometimes you fall in yeah. love with the wrong people. Um, you convince yourself that you're in love with them. You let them treat you a certain way because you 
it was an excuse for terrible behaviour. And again, it all came back to that whole theme of dating and what we go through in our in our search for the one. Yeah, well, it wouldn't have been real if it was just full of the light stuff, right? It's you 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 needed all aspects of of your dating journey. Um, uh, your humour <laughs> is is. Is is this great? You've got you've got to write more books. You you know oh. you've got to think of the next theme, and uh, <laughs> you know and and write more books because it's it's just really entertaining, and there are so many things that I think that so many people will relate to, and I have I burst <laughs> out laughing like I read in one of the sections. Um, if you've ever been a single woman in Sydney or Brisbane for any extended period of time, <laughs> someone has probably suggested that the best place for you to meet men is in Melbourne. Yeah, yes. thanks. Like that's helpful. <laughs> but I know, that's... You get thanks for that. All the advice you get from your friends, isn't it? Oh, down. <laughs> you've just got to stop looking because that's when he'll turn up. Oh, oh yes. shut up. No, we never stop looking. If we're single and we're 40, we're looking. It's so true. Everything in here is so you. You're, the readers will recognise so many of the things that you've basically, you know, said out loud that that you really want to say to the smug marrieds. Um, <laughs> but you also know how to take the piss out of yourself. Like the guy who um, um, came up to you and said, you know, when he figured out who you were or that he'd seen mm. you before, and he said. Wow, I can't believe it's Sammy Lucas. I used to watch you on the Today Show back when you were hot. <laughs> no, how good is that, little sweetheart? I think I think he thought it was a compliment. Oh. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Or the guy that yelled out, get a dingo up here. I still yeah. honestly can't work that one out. I don't know if that was a compliment. I don't know if it was an insult. Or an invitation from a guy who calls himself Dingo. Honestly, I don't know. There, there are a few um, questions in the book that I'm still looking for answers for. So if anyone reads them <laughs> and has answers to any of these questions, please feel free to contact me. I'd love to know. It's so nice that you say that because that's the one thing that has – another thing that I guess is really – pleasantly surprised me about the whole process is the amount of people that keep saying, oh, I, I hope you write another book. And I'm thinking, oh. well, this book was great to write because I had all the content. I, I, don't, I don't know what I'd write book two about. I haven't got oh. there yet. Honestly, I was not even halfway through it when I thought she better write another book. Like, you, <laughs> they definitely, this is this is your thing. It's, it's you know, oh. it's, it's great. Um, but anyway, so... Um, what was the easiest part of the writing process? Wow, that's a tough question. Mm. Oh. Like did um, it all spew out really easily or no, you know? no, oh god no, I had some I had some tough days. I actually took myself up to Byron Bay. I relocated to Byron for a few months when oh. I started reading the book. I had a friend with a house there and he very kindly offered for me to come up and stay. And that for me, I get maybe that was the easiest decision I made was to leave Sydney and go there and know that I had to put my head down. You know, it helped that I had a deadline <laughs> from the publisher. So, um, you know, and to just remove myself from all of the distractions that I have 
at home. Um, so I, I got into a nice routine where I'd wake up every morning and go to the beach and take the dog for a walk. And, you know, as I was walking, I just clear my head and think about the chapter I was currently working on. And, you know, thoughts would, you know, just spring into my head. It was, it was fantastic. And then I'd go home, sit down, write for a few hours, have a break, write again for a few hours, have a gin and tonic on the balcony, <laughs> watch the sun go down. It was quite fabulous. And then when I came back to Sydney, um, I did find it very difficult to um, commit again um, to the writing process and this was something the publisher was really good with because I called her at one stage and said, look, I'm really struggling. I don't know what's going on. I just, I have a block. I can't get back into it. And she assured me that that was totally normal and understandable because, you know, the content and and the, the content that I was writing and sharing was so deep personal mm. and bringing back so many memories that she said it's natural for you to you know want to give yourself a break so give yourself a break take a couple of weeks off don't look at your computer don't think about it um and then come back to it so I, I did actually do that a few times over the sort of 12 month process yeah. because I just needed, I needed that break but then yeah. coming back to it and sitting back down and getting into that writing process you know hours a day uh, when you've had a break is quite difficult. Yeah, and I yeah. heard Leanne Moriarty at the Writers' Festival last year. Did you hear her speak at the yes, Sydney Writers' Festival? Yeah. And I heard her because I was writing the book at the time and I was just desperate to hear from all these other writers and what they went through. And mm. she said the same thing. And she said, this, this speaking engagement here at the Writers' Festival, this is my last public appearance. You will not see or hear from me again because I'm writing my next book. I'm on deadline. It's got to be delivered by 31st of December. And when I take myself away from the computer and away from the writing process and take my headspace somewhere else, I find it really difficult to get back to the writing process. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, thank God I'm normal. She, you know, I know exactly what she's talking <laughs> about. And so yeah. I, I found I get that was difficult for me, but then once I realised it was perfectly normal and natural, because again, as I said, like the whole process was so new and foreign to me. It's the first mm. time I'd ever attempted to write a book, mm. um, so it was a it was just such a wonderful learning experience. I just loved it. Did you enjoy it? Yes, I loved it. I loved the um, I loved that kind of. It's like I did, you know, live television for so long and I found that I got this kind of natural high, this rush when you're on live TV and, you know, you get through a cross, maybe things are going wrong in the background, everything's falling apart, but somehow you manage to keep it together and you do a really great cross. Um, mm. You get this sort of natural high that, wow, I did it, I, I you know, I achieved, I got through it. And I felt that when I finished a chapter and I thought, wow, that's, I really like it. I really like the sound of it. It's working. It was like a, a little natural high every time I finished yeah. a chapter and gave myself little mental high fives. Like, I can do this. I got this. I so loved it. If, I loved If you feeling. had that feeling then, if you had that feeling, surely at some point during that process, the thought crossed your mind, what about my next book? <laughs> well, surely. I guess it did, but then I would, I don't want to admit that my ego allowed me to think that, you know, like I didn't even know how the, this book would be received. I didn't, just because I thought it was, you know, it was working well, I didn't know if other people would enjoy reading it and I didn't I didn't want to sort of have a big yeah. ego to 
think no, anyone look, would want me to write another book. Look, it's a great book and people will want you to write another book. So if you could, what would it be about? <laughs> What's something brewing in your head that you think, you know, that's kind of interesting. There must be something. Well, okay. It's funny you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I really haven't thought about it, but here's a 10-page proposal. Um, <laughs> no, what's actually happened is since I wrote the book and or since the book was launched um, and released on the 29th of December of January this year, mm-hmm. I have had more requests from men to go on dates than I know what to do with. My, <laughs> like, I get, no, it's like my phone is its own private dating app. It's. <gasps> It's just like emails from complete strangers, messages on Instagram, messages on Facebook from people I don't know, I've never heard of. You know, they come through in this sort of private section, um, mm, yes. so they don't all know. They don't all know that I've seen their messages, um, and just just the amount of date requests and men saying, you know, here I'm available. Um, wow has been overwhelming and I I have yet to decide what to do with all of those date requests but maybe it's um you know part two (laughs) romantically (laughs) romantically challenged dot 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 still um so I don't know maybe there's something in actually taking up these men you know which I would never you know as I I write a there's a a chapter in the book you've you've seen about the men that approached me when I was on the Today Show asking Mm. me out on dates and the interesting and and quite um, unusual methods men used to ask me out on dates. <laughs> I never went out on a date with any fan in my whole career, but maybe maybe there's an opportunity to take some of these men up on their offers and write about it. I don't know. I'm also actually about to start a podcast um, called Romantically Challenged. So it'll be a, oh, a podcast. Yeah. So that I'm really looking forward to sinking my teeth into that. So we're just sort of finalising that at the moment and um, who knows what will spring from that. So you're writing books. I just use that in the plural. You are. You've got this podcast starting now. You also run tours, like travel tours. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and how? How in the world did that come about from having a career in the media? You know, like yeah. No, it's hilarious, isn't it? I've never actually advertised. I've never advertised my travel business, so it's really mouth um, or. social media people know about it so my dad worked in the airlines just to go back um way way back dad worked in the airlines so I've traveled my whole life it's in my blood it's in my it's just in my soul it's what I do so I, I'm one of those weirdo people I love planes I love airport lounges I love hotels I love packing you know love suitcases I just love exploring new places and um so I was actually in New York uh, visiting some friends who lived there when I turned 40, 41. I'd just broken up with a boyfriend. My grandmother had just passed away. I'd just finished a job I really didn't enjoy in radio. And I was kind of thinking, what do I want to do? And I literally had a light bulb moment on the streets of New York. I was in midtown Manhattan where I thought, I want to host tours of New York for women like me, you know, women who get to a certain age, let's say around 40, 
and you've been working and probably had a great career, you've got time, you've got money to travel, you've got the desire to travel, but suddenly you realise you've got no one left to travel with because all of your other girlfriends are married with kids and they're all committed to family holidays with the hubby and, you know, their kids. And even if you do have some single friends, you know, they don't always necessarily have the time or the money to join you in what you want to do. So... I thought there must be other women out there like me who just want to travel but would like to have other people to travel with. Mm. So I um yeah, I came back to Sydney and I set up the business and and luckily for me it was really minimal startup costs and you know, I again like like writing the book. I had no idea I'd never run a business before, but I just um put my head down and um and and made it happen. And so 8 years later, uh, the yeah. business is still going. Yeah. I've been running tours every year. They, they sell out every year. I've got two tours coming up in June, two summer tours of New York, and I'm doing a New Year's Eve tour as well in New York this year. And there's just a lovely market there. You know, there's a lovely sort of group of women. I think there's a, uh, yeah, a market of women that have been neglected in the travel industry. You know, there's like mm-hmm. there's Kentucky mm-hmm. tours for 30-year-olds who just want to go out and get drunk on Malibu and Coke every night. And then there's, you know, the, the older people who like to go on the gentle walking tours or the bus tours or those boat cruises in Europe. But there's sort of this whole group of cashed-up women in their 30s and 40s and 50s who, you know, want to go out and have a have a great time. So I host what? walking – sorry? No, 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 you go on. Oh, so basically, yeah, I host walking tours of New York, um, a different neighbourhood every morning. So we do two to three hours where I, you know, we'd get – down we're on the streets we're in the neighborhoods and I've been going to New York for 25 years so even though I've never lived there I know it like a local so I show them New York and then there's time in the afternoon for shopping or museums or whatever and then the the real feature is the night times where I host the group every night at a different fabulous rooftop bar and we go to an amazing gorgeous restaurant you know and when you're traveling with your own on your own it's easy to fill your days because you can go off to a museum on your own. You can go shopping on your own. But it's at night. You don't want to be sitting in a city like New York in your hotel room, you know, in room service again and watching another in-house movie. You want to be out there socialising. And a lot of people don't feel comfortable going to a bar or a restaurant on their own. So, yeah, my tours give the women the opportunity to be part of a group. So we all go out as a group and go to a have a lovely dinner and have some drinks. And, you know, the women that have done my tours over the years have all become such great friends. You know, there's a group of women that I'm catching up with on Saturday night for, for dinner. They went on my tour four years ago and they they mm. all travelled independently and they met on the tour and now they're just great friends and they catch up three or four times a year for dinners and drinks and I love the, the friendships that it creates for these women as well. So I just love everything about it. It's great. Taking, taking people on a tour to another country and organising everything is not for the faint-hearted. What do you enjoy about it? <laughs> I know. It's hard work. And people, yeah. it's funny. The women are shocked because, you know, it's it's Sammy Lucas, New York with Sammy and it's Sammy Lucas Tours and they write, you know, I've got my Sammy Lucas website and I still think they don't quite think it's me. They think that I've got a, an office full of people running my tours. It's literally <laughs> me. I do it all myself. You know, I ring the ladies when they book and they're like, oh, is that is that you, Sammy? I'm like, yeah, it's me. Thanks for booking the tour. I just want to talk to you about it. And then um, they say when they get back from their tour, a lot of them, you know, their work 
colleagues or friends say, oh, how was the tour of New York? And they say, great. Did you meet Sammy? You know, did you see her? And they're like, yeah, she hosted the tour. Like <laughs> I host the walking tours for three hours every day. I host dinner and drinks every night. I take them to a Broadway show. You know, I wow. walk them over the Brooklyn Bridge. So it's just me, um, which I think because I have I have 12 women in each group, which is my, you know, it's it's a good number for me. It's manageable. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it, look, it's hard work, but I love it because I love sharing my passion for travel yeah. and I love New York. New York is the best city for women, particularly mm. for solo travellers. It's got the best of everything we want. It's got the shopping and the sightseeing. It's got the shows. It's got shoes, shoes, more shoes, more shoes. You know, Saks <laughs> has, okay. has an entire shoe floor that has its own postcode. It's that big. It has its own postcode. It's ridiculous. That's insane. Um, all right. So this book is um, is obviously now out. Um, have has it? Um, you enjoyed the process. Did you? Did it tempt you at all to think about writing different types of writing? Not necessarily the same thing again. Not romantically challenged still, um, but. <laughs> you know, fiction or something else, for example? I don't know. It's an interesting question. Um, I have thought about it, but I don't know how I'd go about it. But then again, I didn't know how I'd go about writing this book. So I I kind of wonder whether there is a story about um, there might be something in there about my more based on my career. You know, this book is is based on my dating life and my personal life, but there are some there are some references to my career and obviously some examples of, of things that have happened in my career. But maybe there's a story about a fictional story about um a girl who works in breakfast radio and breakfast television and what she sees along the way. Yes, mm. who knows? All right, like well, that'll I, be interesting I, reading. <laughs> I do feel like it's kind of been done a bit though, so. Sure. Um, yeah. Maybe well, I'll I, stick to what I know. I think watch this space because um, I have no doubt there's going to be another book and um, we'll we'll certainly talk about it then when it when that comes out. But in the meantime, congratulations on Romantically Challenged um, and, uh, yeah, everyone should go read it. Thanks so much, Sammy. Oh, Valerie, that's today. so kind of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you want to be a freelance writer, our five-week course in Freelance Writing Stage 1 is the fastest way to get there. Step by step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, approach editors, research and structure your article, plus interview skills, industry expectations and much more. You'll enjoy the convenience of learning online in just a couple of hours a week and have your own tutor to answer all your questions. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash freelance. There you go, Sammy Lucas. Well, I have to say I do give her maximum points for persiflage because that was quite excellent really, wasn't it? And I would imagine like if she writes like she talks that her book is also highly entertaining. Yes, yes, very. Awesome, awesome. Did you like how I used that? Did you see me work out word of the week? I was so 
so impressed. Our listeners are going to be so impressed with you, Al. Well done. I know. I know. Thank you, Bows. (laughs) All right. So uh, what are you doing in the coming week until we chat again? Let me think about that. What have I got? Well, you know, Mother's Day is is coming up, Valerie, which is always a highlight on the family calendar, as you can imagine. Uh, So do you know what I'm doing? I will be spending Mother's Day carrying my son's guitar to a gig because that's what we do on Mother's oh, Day. Oh, really? Mm. He has to get breakfast in bed and stuff? No, because we have to be there at 9.30 and oh. so we have to, we'll probably have to leave home before 9 to get there and uh, he's on at 10 o'clock. He's, he's on at the Colborough Beach Festival and he oh. has uh, promised me that for all of my efforts because, you know, this is my Mother's Day treat, um, that he is going to sing me a song that I particularly like. So he has promised me that. And oh. he has also promised me that he's going to buy me a sausage sandwich. So, you know, oh. <laughs> i tell you what, mothering, it's just like all wins all the time. What can Can't I say? Can't ask for more than that. Can't <laughs> ask for more than that. So that's what I'll be doing on the weekend. But I'm also, what am I doing? I, um, I think I might start a new manuscript this week. What? Oh, come yeah. on. You can't just drop that into... You, really? Have you been thinking about this for long? Or I, Well, this- I have, yes. And I just think I'm going to get it out and, and have a little look at it and start. Oh I, I need to start the whole thing. It's something I have started recently. You know, I did start a little while ago, but I've decided it needs to be totally rewritten. So I'm going to do that. Oh, my God. How much of it had you written? Oh, about 20,000 words. Oh, my God. And so this new version, have you been uh, swilling it around in your brain while you've been taking Procrastic Pup out for a walk? Yes, How much have yes. you thought about it? How much have I thought about it? Yeah, like what, I mean, like why have you decided to change it from the original, you know, start? Because I, so I got it out. I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago I was going to get it out and I, th- and I, I pulled it out and I've read through it um, and there's a lot that I really like about it, a lot, um, but I think that I have got the point of view wrong. Oh, okay. So I need to change that. And I'm actually contemplating, and this is something that I haven't done before, I'm actually contemplating first person for it, which right. will be an interesting challenge for me because I, I I don't write in first person generally um mm. and it will be I think the challenge with first person point of view particularly when you're not writing um is just not writing like yourself mm. if you know what I mean like writing like yourself but not yourself because of, obviously this is a character's voice and not mine um so we'll see yeah, I've, got a, right. I've got a feeling it's going to be one of those stories that is actually going to take me a few goes. So I'm going to try the first person and see mm. how I feel about that. But then I've also got another point of view idea um, and I may, you know, I'll see. It's just wow. I like the story and I love the idea and I really think that there's a lot in it, but I just don't feel like what I've done so far is giving it the right feel. I don't feel like the, the, I'm not doing the idea justice at the moment. So, yep. you know, sometimes that just means you've got to start again. And as much yeah, as right. that depresses me, I cannot tell yes. you how much. I just think sometimes, like, I'm glad that I've worked that out at 20,000 words and not 60,000 words. Yes. You know what I mean? Like it could have been a lot worse, but anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Wow. All right. Cool. Mm. Well, that's very industrious of you. Good on you. Mm. Mm. What yes. are you doing? 
Oh, what am I doing? I will, I'm, I'm actually mentoring a couple of people on writing their nonfiction book. One, uh, he's done his first draft and I've given him feedback and he's just submitted his second draft and I'm about to go through that. And one, uh, he's more at the, more at the start of his journey. Um, we've, we're clear on what it's about and he knows exactly I've kind of helped him with all the various chapters and the structure and everything and now he needs to get writing and I will also be uh dealing with very pressing issues like um whether or not to binge watch the whole of Picnic at Hanging Rock or to filter it out week by week. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that, isn't it? Because I saw that they were doing it and then I mm. saw that it was, you know, it's the darker, edgier version. Mm. And I thought, do we really, do we need a darker, edgier version of that particular story? I don't know that we do. So I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on it. Well, I thought it was pretty dark already. Like, <laughs> Well, that's my point. Like, I, you know, that whole wafty 70s movie thing that they yeah. did with it was one of the weirdest, eeriest yeah, like, eerie. Totally. And of course, for me, that particular story is one of the most annoying stories that I've ever read or seen yep. because yep. there's no answers in it. And yep. I, I just, I don't know if I need to put myself through that again. Yes. It's, it's, I don't think it's darker really yet. It's trying to be edgier in that it's trying to do these slight, you know, slightly different camera techniques and stuff I've mm. only watched the first episode so mm. you know still deciding whether to binge the rest right. uh, but I'm interested to see how it unfolds because of course it's such an iconic book an iconic movie it's very hard not to compare mm. so yeah I will let you know my thoughts okay looking right. forward to it where do we find you online Al? You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? At, at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram, although I have to admit, everyone, that I'm using Instagram way more than Twitter these days. I'll mm-hmm. have to see whether I'll get back into Twitter. Um, you'll also find both of us, connect with both of us, in the listener group on Facebook. Feel free to join. It's free to join. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. It's an awesome group and we'd love to have you in there. Of course, you'll also find all the show notes at soyouwanttobearwriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.